Hey everybody, this is Round 6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight, with me, your boy, Noah Petrie. I know, I know what you're thinking, another MMA podcast. I know, there's a lot of us out there, but if you like bold, unapologetic hot takes, a detailed, broken down view of the fight game, and of course, stomach-hurting comedy, well, come to the right place. What is up, everyone? This is Round 6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight. Me, your boy, Noah Petrie. This is episode 17 of the podcast. And tonight, I'm going to be going over, of course, UFC 278. It just happened this past weekend. We have one championship Prime Video 1, I think that's what they're calling it, is Marais versus Demetrius Johnson 2, and of course the Cyril Gaon Taito Ivasa fight night that's happening this Saturday, and of course all the news slash drama and everything else that's going on in MMA sphere, which is constantly busy with a ton of shit, but just some background, some stuff that's happening right now, I'm currently sweating in my apartment, it just sucks, because I have to record this thing with all the windows closed and it's fucking summertime as hot as ever loving shit. So I gotta do a shirtless and I'm fucking sweating in the middle of recording. So it's a whole ordeal. Maybe I gotta just like let the AC run for three hours. Then right before recording, then I'll start, you know, I'll be all cooled down. The room will be cold and I'll be, I'll be better. But I'm just making myself suffer for no reason. But I was just in Philly this past weekend visiting my brother and my niece. And Philly is dope, to be honest with you. I fucks with Philly. I fucks with Philly hard. Will I ever live there? No. Here's the reason why I'll never live there. Philly is too yellow. Like, there's a meme that's when, when uh, they say, you know, when uh, the American movies depicts Mexico and everything is yellow. That's literally how Philly looks. I'm not even kidding you. I'm not joking with you. And it's not like sunset time. Like, broad, middle of the day, Philly just looks yellow. And the reason why it looks yellow is because our, all the old architecture is beautiful. Don't get me wrong. I love the fact that it kept, you know, a lot of its old architecture alive. And there's only so few buildings that are fairly modern. The skyscrapers there, that's basically about it. There's only a few anyway. But all the buildings are like a tannish, brownish kind of tone. Like literally every building. So all the light reflecting off of it is going to be a yellowish tone. So that's why the city just looks yellow. And I just, I don't know why. It, I just can't, I couldn't get over it. So that's the reason why I would never live there. And a bunch of different reasons, to be honest with you. Um, but it is definitely a cool city to visit. If you've never been, you should definitely go to, uh, to Philly, catch a game there. Watch the Mets beat the Phillies 8-1, which was beautiful. I'm a Met fan, live in Queens. Um, fucking hate the Yankees. And it was cool to see uh, the Mets just spank the Phillies in and, and, uh, and Philly Stadium and Citizens Bank Park. Um, but I do have to say this. Phillies definitely do have the best MOB um, mascot, the Fanatic. He's pretty dope. He's pretty funny. Um, Mr. Mets gets kind of bland. But that's just going over a background of my life. Now I'm going to be going over UFC 278. Of course, I always do... The fights that are on the main card going up to the main event in that order in that fashion. So first, I'm just going to be going over Pedro against Hunsucker. Now, Pedro, from Australia, I think he has some like Samoan or New, or New Zealand or something kind of like, you know, um, South Pacific 
vibe to him because he has all the tattoos and he looks like he can be from that region. But anyway, he is fighting out of City Kickboxing, which is a very famous gym, especially known for their striking. Um, and off the gate, I thought Hunsucker would utilize a very grappling heavy, grappling heavy approach. Typically, the guys who are there aren't the best grapplers in the world. Anasanya, not a great grappler, but his defensive grappling is very good. Um, I, I, I can't really name the rest for the rest of those guys. So I thought Hunsucker would just have that approach right off the bat. Just try it again to a grappling position. Now, unfortunately, he wasn't able to do anything or anything of that fashion because the fight was over just as fast as it started. Pedro landed the right hand, which hurt him, then hit him with a, a left body kick, which dropped him, and the fight was over just like that. So a very clean and, and beautiful victory from Pedro. Anyone who comes out of City Kickboxing, I'm excited to see them develop just because their striking is always elite, especially in regards to fainting as well. Now we're going to be going, up to, going over Aldo against Davalos really. And honestly, going into this fight, I had Aldo. The reason why I had Aldo, which I talked about in the last episode, was the fight was going to be three rounds. So the fight was going to be three rounds. We all know Aldo's gas tank is not the best. So he typically performs extremely well the first two rounds and starts to gas out three, definitely four and five. So since his three rounds, I figured that's working in his favor. And his takedown defense is very good. It's one of the best takedown defense ever, to be honest with you. Um, I, I, I knew Morab was going to have a hard time taking him down. And Aldo had... He just has better striking all around as well. So that's why I gave the fight to Aldo. Now, Aldo could have won if he was more active, which I'm going to get into that. That first round, they were more so just feeling each other out. I gave that first round to Aldo. I also love the fact that when he came into the octagon, everyone was just cheering and screaming. So I love the fact that he got that, that fan admiration, which he fucking rightfully deserves. But I gave round one to Aldo. I just thought he did far better work. Um, a lot of people are talking about why does he go to leg kicks anymore and that's not really a game that he utilized because back in the WEC days and back in his early UFC days when, when it just got when WEC got absorbed by the UFC he had a very you know leg kick heavy approach which he was doing this before anyone was utilizing leg kicks at all the only other person who I know of who was utilizing leg kicks at that time was Benson Henderson which didn't have the same effect and I don't even think I don't even think that uh, that that Jorge Masvidal was in the UFC at this time, so it, it could have been just those two. Those are the only two people that I saw really utilizing those leg kicks, and Benson Henderson didn't have it to the same degree and same effect. So you know, Aldo's leg kicks are fucking devastating. He was known to have those devastating leg kicks. When you look at his fight against Uriah Faber, dude, he fucking tore up Uriah Faber's legs. So a lot of people are saying, you know, why hasn't he got away from that in his game? One, I think he has a more boxing-heavy approach now, which I was shocked to see that in the first round of the Devalis Willie fight, he had kind of like a Muay Thai stance, which is very odd. I noticed it right away. I was like, why is he in a Muay Thai stance? Um, and it, it, he, he switched over a few seconds after to a boxing stance for the remaining of the fight. But the reason why I think he doesn't throw leg kicks anymore He'll throw it once or twice in a fight, and that's it. I think it just hurts him just as much as it hurts his opponent because he was just fucking throwing them back in the day. And your bones and your muscles could only take so much damage because when you throw a leg kick, yeah, it's hurting your opponent, but it's also hurting you. 
is also doing you some damage as well. So I do think that it, it just hurts him. Now, it's just, whenever he throws a light kick, it just hurts him. So that's the reason why I think he just doesn't throw him anymore. Which is a shame, because if he was able to still throw those light kicks the same way he could do now, he would definitely it would definitely be a game changer and have a lot of people on skates. But I do think he won round one. I think he did the better work. Now, Marab did a very good job in that second round. He never let Aldo dictate the pace. Aldo always performs better when he's dictating the pace. Marab was just constantly putting that pressure on him, not really utilizing too much offense in that regard, but what he was doing was he's in, he was initiating the clinch. He was trying to take Aldo to the ground. Again, Aldo's takedown defense is fucking phenomenal. I don't think he got takedown. He got that. I don't think Marab got takedown once in that entire fight. I, I think they maybe credit him one, but I think, uh, but it, it's kind of like a questionable takedown. So, I'm to my knowledge, he didn't score a takedown, not once. Um, if he did, he only scored one. But dude, Jose Aldo's takedown defense just stood the test of time, even in his his older ages in his career. So he just did an effective job, just utilizing that clinch, trying to go for a takedown. He didn't really do that much offense or that much damage, but he was winning in regards to control time. So I gave it to Marab that first, that second round. So it's 1-1 going into the third, in my opinion. And now Marab was still applying that pressure. He was still trying to clinch, but there was a few times where Aldo could have thrown some offense and he just wasn't throwing, man. Like he just wasn't active in that third round at all. There was times where, you know, Marab would apply the pressure and Aldo just wouldn't throw at all when he had the opportunity to throw. So it was just, it was, it's kind of bizarre to see. And I'm guessing it has to do with the altitude because Aldo is known to not have a great gas tank. And when you're 4,000 feet up in Utah, which we've seen across the entire card, guys were gassing out left and right. Left and right guys were gassing out. So, and again, Aldo doesn't have a great gas tank. So fighting that far up and, you know, fighting to the later third rounds and fighting for 15 minutes straight, that's going to drain on you. So I'm guessing that's the reason why he just wasn't throwing more, wasn't being active in that last round, and that last round costed him. But it, it was an impressive victory by Marab. I'm excited to see Marab continue to fight the upper echelons of the division. Unfortunately, he's never going to fight Aljermaine, but I'm against that later. Now we have Rockhold against Costa, and this fight upset me. One, I lost money on it. I'm gonna get into that a little bit later. I lost money on it, but that's not the reason why I lost. That's not the reason why it upset me. It's partially the reason why it pissed me off, but it's not the full reason as to why it pissed me off. The full reason as to why it pissed me off was that, dude, this fight was far harder for Costa than it should have been. Costa has so much potential, but he has terrible fight IQ. He just wants to get in wars and fight with his ego. You had two dudes with huge egos fighting, and they fought with their egos. Basically what happened. Costa could have easily won this fight through striking, and honestly, Rockhold could have had an advantage through grappling because Rockhold was, as we all know, the far better grappler. But neither men decided to do that. Both men just decided to fight with their ego, and that's what showed. So in that first round, it was very grappling-heavy for Costa, which was not a smart idea at all. It worked out in his favor because Rocco was coming off a three-year layoff and he's fighting at, so he's rusty, and he's fighting at such a high altitude so that he, he, he was just gassed. Both men were just extremely gassed because of that. But Paulo Costa was very, very, very wrestle-heavy in that first round, 
He was able to control Luke Rockhold, which is honestly pretty shocking. I think the only reason why he was able to do so is because of these factors that I just alluded to beforehand. Um, but it's not a smart approach. It's not a smart approach at all. Why would you grapple the fighter who, one, has a weak chin. We all know he has a weak chin. And you're a power striker. You have big power in your hands. So you went for the grappling heavy approach when he's the, bar, was the far better grappler. It just made no sense. But Costa won that round. Now the second round, both men are extremely gassed. I was shocked at how gassed that Rockhold was because he was on the floor on his back the entirety of the round. I could understand why Paulo Costa was so gassed because he's, the dude is not a grappler. So someone who's not used to grappling, starts grappling, starts wrestling, that just drains your gas tank more. His gas tank is already not good. And he's fighting at 4,000 feet altitude. So I, I see why he was so gassed in that second round. But I give that second round to to uh, to Luke Rockhold. Even though Luke Rockhold was kind of doing some ridiculous shots, you know, he did the 360 roundhouse kick and he looked exhausted and he put his hands on his knees in the middle of the round, which is fucking insane. I never saw that before. Um, but I do think he did the overall better work. I think that he utilized some very good leg kicks, utilized a lot of great body kicks that Paulo Costa was not checking or blocking at all. So I, I gave that second round to Luke Rockhold. Now, if you were to give it to the second round to Costa, I can see it. There was a couple of times where Costa landed some good offense, some big right hands, and Luke Rockhold kind of turned away from him, which is a bad sign, but he would just take his foot off the pedal and, and you know not pursue it when he had his opponent hurt. So it was just an overall weird fight, man. Don't get me wrong. Is it entertaining? Yes, absolutely. The fight was fucking entertaining as ever-loving shit. It's one of those fights you can watch over and over again and just be entertained, even though both men were extremely gassed out. So I, I personally gave that second round to Luke. Now the third round, I gave it to Paulo Acosta. Now going into why I'm so upset. One is because Paulo Acosta, he should have won this fight easily, to be honest with you. He should have won this fight through TKO in the first or second round, but he decided to make the fight harder than it was supposed to be. And on top of that, I had money on not just Paulo Costa winning, but Paulo Costa winning by TKO, which logically speaking, when you do the MMA math, doesn't sound like something that's far outlandish or something that can't happen. I think most people are expecting it to go that way in general, but... And unfortunately, it just didn't because he decided to fight with Zico. So I learned two lessons today. One, never bet on how the fight is going to turn out. And two, most importantly, never bet on fucking Costa because he's just too unpredictable. But, uh, dude, nothing but respect for Rockhold. After all that's being said, Luke Rockhold was hated literally throughout his entire career because the dude has a huge ego and he's kind of a douche. But coming into his fight week, he was talking about fire to pay, which you know a lot of the fan base had his back on that. And then he gave this fucking amazing performance. He won the fans' heart. He definitely won the fans' heart. He even won Dana White's heart. Dana White said he would never say anything bad about Luke Rockhold, even though he was basically shitting on the UFC for a fight to pay. So he won the fan. It, 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 it's a kind of a storybook ending. It was literally a movie ending where you don't win the fight, but it was close, and you gave it your all, and everyone loved you for it. So uh, I'm happy that Luke Rocco is officially announcing retirement. He's not going to be fighting anymore. And he gave it his all and gave the best that he have. And honestly, you know, coming off of a string of losses before your first retirement, coming back to fight the number six at the division, who is heavy handed, um, nothing but props to you. And getting to a close fight that, you know, you know, it, it, you, know you could have won in certain instances, nothing but respect for Luke Rocco. So... 
I'm happy that he's retiring and for Paulo Costa, I'm just disappointed in him because he just made this fight hard and it was supposed to be. Now we have Usman against Leon Edwards. And dude, this is just the beauty of MMA. This is just the beauty of MMA because the thing about MMA that's so much different from every other sport is that, dude, a fight can end in the blink of an eye. You may think the fight can go one way, but it can just drastically go south real quick. And that's why it's an incredibly hard sport to bet on and an incredibly hard sport to pick predictions on as well. But that's the beauty of the sport in general. Now, of course, I had the fight going for Usman. I thought Usman was going to win. 99% of the MMA community thought Usman was going to win. And I thought it was going to play out the same way the first fight played out, which was I thought Edwards would look good round one, round two. Then I think Usman would just constantly would applying that pressure and being very grapple heavy would eventually be able to take Leon Edwards down, control him on the ground, and edge out in victory in that regard. I expected Usman to be very grapple and wrestling heavy in this fight because, as I said before, Usman is by far the better grappler, the better grappler, and Leon Edwards is by far the better striker. So I told my brother right before the fight because I was watching it with him in, in his house. I said if Usman is very wrestle heavy in this fight, he's going to win. If he tries to stand and strike with Leon Edwards, he's going to lose. And I think overall he just he he was standing and striking with Leon Edwards just a little bit too much. Now the first one, first round obviously goes to Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards is able to score the first takedown ever against Kamaru Usman his entire career. He was able to hold him down um, and threaten with a rear naked choke for the entirety of that round. So that kind of shocked everyone, to be honest with you. And I know for a fact shocked Leon, uh, Kamaru Usman because he wasn't expecting that one. Then the second round, the third round, the fourth round kind of played out exactly how the first fight played out, which was Usman was constantly applying that pressure. Yes, he was he he was doing a little bit too much offense in my regard, which I didn't think that was safe. But he always had Leon Edwards on the back foot applying that pressure and was easily getting those takedowns, was holding Leon Edwards on the ground for you know minutes on end. So that's how the, the fight played out for the third, the second round, the third round, and the fourth round. Exactly that way, exactly the way it played out in that first fight. Now here's where things changed. In the fifth round, he kind of put he 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 took his foot off the gas pedal just a little bit too much. He was coasting just a little bit too much. He had a very good game plan the entire of the fight, you know. A lot of people were saying, and he was saying, and all the analysts were saying that you know, you know, he had a perfect game plan and was having was having a perfect fight up until the very end, which we all know. And Usman just had his foot off the gas pedal just a little bit too much. He was able to take Leon Edwards down earlier in the round, and then afterwards he wasn't applying pressure anymore. Now he was letting Leon Edwards dictate the pace, which we know when Leon Edwards is dictating the pace, that's where his striking shines. That's why he was performing so well against, uh, um, God, I'm blanking out his name, Bilal Muhammad before you know the eye poke and the fight had to be stopped. But when you let Leon Edwards dictate the pace, that's where his striking fucking shines. And that's what Kamaru Usman was doing towards the very end of that fight. He was letting Leon Edwards dictate the pace. And Leon Edwards faked with a left hand, went with a left high kick, and completely knocked out Kamaru Usman, which shocked the entire world. Shocked the entire world. It's one of the greatest comebacks in MMA history or just 
honestly combat sports history. I would say the greatest comeback of MMA history is is uh, Silver Against Sonnen. This is number two. You can argue that this one's better than Silver Against Sonnen, to be honest with you. You can really make that argument. But it just came out of nowhere, man. And some people are saying, you know, it was a fluke. It's not a fluke. There's no way it's a fluke. Because that was strategically set up. He strategically faked the left hand to throw the left high kick. There's nothing flukish about that. It's not like, you know, Sergio Pennis against Yamaguchi where he just threw a spinning back fist and knocked out his opponent. No, it wasn't the case. It's strategic, a very strategic strike, very strategic fake, and a very strategic left high kick. And he just completely knocked his opponent out, man. And just completely shocked the world. And it just goes to show you how crazy the sport of MMA could be and how doesn't matter how dominant you are, how dominant you think you are, the fight can end at a moment's notice. And Luke Thomas, who's another podcaster and MMA analyst in the sphere, he always says this, says the hardest thing you can do is just defend your title over and over and over and over and over again against, you know, challenger and challenger and challenger and at times beating the same person twice. It's one of the hardest things to do. We only see three, four people effectively do it, which are Demetrius Johnson, GSP, Anderson Silva, and John Jones, of course. It's an extremely hard thing to do because eventually, people with all those fights, your fighters are just getting, their opponents are just getting better and better. There's more and more tape on you, which people are learning more and more of your skill set and how to effectively counter it. And of course, you're just there defending your title. But that person has a hunger to try to win the title and the mentality to try to win the title. So you have to stay motivated to, to defend your title each and every time, even against people who you have already beaten. So it's one of the hardest things to do in all of MMA and professional sports. And uh, Usman just got got, man. That, that's all it was. He was having a perfect fight. I think he, if he would have kept applying the pressure and kept wrestling, he would have won the fight. But he just took his foot off the pedal, and he, he got got. Now, the first time I've seen this happen, because I watched that clip over and over and over and over and over again, the first time I've seen it happen, of course, I was shocked, and I was so happy for Leon Edwards because he's such a, a cool, humble dude who comes from such a humble beginning and background. And he was someone who was counted out, you know, the weeks leading up to the fight. Everyone was counting him out. No one was giving him the edge or any type of regard. They were all saying, yeah, he's a better striker, but Usman is going to do to him the same thing he did to him in the first fight. And it's a shame because, yeah, he's Jamaican, but he, he lived the majority of his life in the UK. Not even the UK fame base is giving him love. The UK fame base is too busy, two-hand stroking, you know, uh, Molly Meatball or Patty Pimblett or Aspinall, all three fighters who, yeah, are good fighters, but they haven't proven themselves yet. Where Leon Edwards is a dude who's on a nine-fight win streak, and who's fighting for a title, he's not getting any love. So uh, it's something that was just kind of messed up to see leading up, uh, leading up to the fight. And I'm so happy that I was able to get the victory, beat the number one pound for pound, um, get revenge for the first time they fought. And now is the second UK champion in MMA history. Honestly, I would say the best. Sorry, Bispin. But it was so it was so cool to see how happy he was and... You know, him him saying he came from a wooden shack in Jamaica and look where he is now and calling his mom and emotional breakdown and all that stuff. So that ran through my mind as soon as I saw it. And immediately right after, I was so happy that Usman lost, to be honest with you, because 
a lot of people were comparing Usman to GSP these past few years and saying that, you know, Usman's the GOAT of the welterweight division, which is just fucking ridiculous. And Usman is about, is about to surpass Anderson Silva's um, fight winning streak, which is at 16, which would definitely, he's not beating that streak anymore. There's no way he's to be able to go on 16 fights again in a row. It's not happening. So I'm happy that Anderson Silva's streak is, is standing the test of time so far. Um, and you can't compare Usman to GSP anymore. Respectfully in that regard, I'm going to be honest with you. And the reason why you can't, first of all, in the first place, GSP record was better. GSP's resume is far better than Usman's resume. That's number one. GSP's title reign was longer than Usman's, but I'm not going to really get into that because GSP, you know, he, he had three, four fights and got a title, and Usman had to fight nine times or ten times to get a title. So it's not fair to compare it in that regard. But here's a, the, the silver lining. GSP never got knocked the fuck out in his prime. And Usman had. He has. So you can't compare Usman to GSP anymore, man. GSP is the GOAT of division. Put some fucking respect in his name. So I'm just being a hater right now. But it was just the icing on the cake for me. And it just spices up the welterweight division again. Because the welterweight division was kind of dead, man. Everyone was overlooking Leon Edwards because we always because we wanted to see, you know, how would Hamza fare against Usman? Or how would like Sean Brady or Rachmaninoff fare against Usman? So it just brings fresh new life and makes the, the division overall more interesting. I do think they're going to run this fight back immediately. Well, maybe not immediately because that was a bad knockout and you have to take some time to, you know, recover and that stuff. But I do think... Usman most definitely deserves a title shot over anyone in the division. I don't care if fucking Hamza beats Nick and Nate Diaz at the same time. You know, he doesn't deserve a title shot over Usman, who is the second best waltzway of all time. So I do think he deserves the immediate title shot. And I do favor him in that second fight. I think he's going to come in less striking heavy, more wrestling heavy. And not and is not going to make that same mistake he did the last time. So it sucks that you know Leah Edwards just won the fight and he's being overlooked again the same way that Pena was against Amanda Nunes. But dude, nothing but respectfully in Edwards, and it, it, it's so cool to see that in that fourth that that fourth round going into the fifth, his corner is just you know ripping into him saying that you didn't come here to lose and it's super motivational is is like a scene out of Rocky which his nickname is Rocky which is kind of ironic so he 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 didn't lose faith in himself he didn't lose faith in himself even when he was down the scorecard he was clearly getting beaten he didn't lose faith in himself he went out there and he got the victory so nothing but respect for him and I do think that Usman is probably going to come back better than ever in my opinion now we have MMA news slash drama, and Usman promises vengeance after win, after the the list after after the loss. Sorry, excuse me. And again, I I think I favor Usman to beat Leon Edwards in that rematch. I think the odds just came out, and uh, Usman is a very heavy favorite too, which honestly is rightfully so. Now Dana White apologizes to Paulo Costa after Usada tested him at 6 a.m. on the weighing day. Says it will never happen again. Now here's a lot of people has been complaining about this as of recently, which is Usada has been pulling up the people's cribs at three, four, five, six in the morning on weighing day, um, uh, to test for you know banned substances in the sport, which 
this is what you this is what it's forced upon them but at the end of the day they volunteer for it and they sign a contract for it so it's like it is what it is and honestly it's one of the best times you can possibly test someone for a banned substance but i do see as to why the fighters can be frustrated because in that weigh-in day a lot of people wake up early and they're cutting like 20 30 pounds you know they're cutting a lot of weight and draining their bodies and without the proper sleep that can be dangerous and it can hinder their their ability to cut weight so i don't think that usada should be pulling up like 6 a.m maybe like you know 12 to 1 somewhere around there to let the, the people get the, the, the uh, at least eight hours of sleep but yeah, you, you maybe not pull up like 4 a.m. It's on weigh-in day. That's just not cool. Now we have Mara promises that he would never fight Aljo um, after the win against Aldo. And here's the thing. He he goes to explain that, you know, when he came to America, that Aldo was there for him and, you know, help him be the person that he is today and always been as corner coaching and that kind of stuff too. So I understand that aspect of, you know, he literally he views Aldo as a brother and he doesn't want to fight his brother so I get it it makes sense but then again it's like bro you're fighting in the same division so if Aldo beats Dillashaw then you're just compete you're just perpetually going to be a contender and you're never going to be able to really fight for the belt because you don't want to fight your homie so why even stay at 135? You should do what DC and Cain Velasquez did. What Cain was was at was fighting a heavyweight, and DC decided to fight a light heavyweight because they didn't want to fight his friend. So if that's the case, just fight at 145, which I don't think he would have that much success there, or try to cut weight and fight at 125. And I don't know if he can cut that weight. So it it's, it kind of leaves him just in a, a sticky situation, if you will, because now. Your friend is a champ, but you don't want to fight your friend. And what if Aljo loses, you win the belt, and UFC want to book you and Aljo? And if you want to fight, then the UFC is going to strip you. Or if Aljo doesn't want to fight you, then they're going to strip him. So it just it, it, it kind of just creates a mess there. But I understand where he's coming from. Now, Tony moves up to Walterweight to fight Li Zhang Liang. And this is... Yo, the UFC does not like Tony Ferguson, son. They don't. They don't fuck with Tony because it's such a bad fight for him. Tony got knocked out by Michael Chandler, I want to say, what, three months ago? And he's going to be fighting in another three months, three, four months. So that's a bad knockout. And you're coming back in. You're coming back into fighting seven months. And on top of that, you've been taking bad beatings for the past three, four fights. And you're fighting at a higher weight division against someone who has who is a big puncher. And you're going to be small for the division? Bro, it's just like... As the UFC, come on, man. You know this is a bad matchup. You know you shouldn't book this one. This is not good. Like Sean Shelby, you, you didn't just look at this fight and think, you know what, this is kind of fucked up. Or better yet, Tony's management, kind of like, yo, maybe it's not the best fight. I mean, I guarantee you that people who are coaching Tony in his corner are probably like, yo, this is not the best fight. But Tony's stubborn and weird, so he probably decided to do it anyway. But this is not going to fare well for Tony. I'm telling you that now. This is not going to fare well for Tony. Tony should be fighting someone like McGregor or, um, you know, big names. Or maybe like a, a, a Masvidal. That will be entertaining. Or, so, you know, someone who, who's... who's 
who is not in their prime as well and who's a big name would be a fun fight. But, bro, we shouldn't be fighting Zhili Zhang Liang, man. Granted, is Zhili Liang the best fighter out there? No, but he has very good striking. He has fucking power in those hands. And you're just coming off of a knockout. It's just not a good fight for him. And I, I kind of wish that the UFC didn't do this. Then we have Paulo Costa saying he wants to test free agency. His contract is going to be up soon. And he wants to see what's out there. He alluded to boxing, which a lot of MMA fighters are going to talk about going into boxing because boxing was hot right now and it, it, you make more money there. But he wants to test free agency. And honestly, I like this for him. I, I really do like this for him because he's kind of, you know, back and forth and at bat with the UFC, uh, you know, here and there. And dude, this is what gonna, is going to make MMA better, which we have stars who are in the UFC deciding to go to other promotions. So it shows that to other fighters that there's options out there other than the UFC. Granted, when you really look at it, you know, when you really analyze it broadly, the UFC, even though we, we, we really shit on them for not paying their fighters, overall, they're going to pay more. Because they're that much bigger than all the competitors in the space. But with these stars going to other promotions and, you know, gaining fans in that regard, it's going to start to let to lay out, to, to even out the playing field. Not, not really, because UFC is basically a fucking monopoly at this point. But it just shows the fighters that there's more options out there other than the UFC, which I like to see. Now, we're in the Petri predictions portion of this podcast. This is going to be a short cast today, guys. We're, 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 we're 33 minutes in and we're almost done. So uh, sorry about that one. Typically, we go 45 to an hour. So maybe let's see if I can stretch this to 45. If not, this is a short cast. So we have the Petri Predictions portion of this podcast. First up is Cyril Gaon against Taito Ivasa. And I'm just confused. I'm perplexed. I'm flustered. Why is Cyril Gaon tied to Ivasa, the main event over Robert Whitaker and Martin Vittori. Robert Whitaker is a former champion. He's top three middleweights ever. Vittori was a former title contender and it's, it's in the top five of the division. Why are they in the co-main event only going three rounds when... You have two fat fucks. Well, Sirogan is jacked. Taito Ivas is a fat fuck. You have two heavyweights in the main event. One fought for a title, and it was one-sided. And the other one never fought for a title, and it's just, you know, a fan favorite because he just drinks beer out of people's shoes. It doesn't make any sense. I guess from a selling standpoint, you can sell Gon and Taito Ivasa, and, you know, UFC wants that that French crowd and they know that Tatu Vasa is a fan favorite. So I guess it sells and viewership and that kind of shit. But it's like, I don't know, man, I, I don't like it. I think by far the Fratori and Whitaker fight should be the fight that's five rounds, not this main event. But I have to get into Sirogan uh, and Tatu Vasa first. Obviously, bro, we're going with Sirogan here. Sirogan's by far the better striker. We do see he has an overall blaring weakness, which is wrestling, which I pointed out before. I did point out before against Francis, and I did have questions in Cyril Gon's wrestling. But Taito Ivasa isn't a wrestler. 
So that works in Sirogon's favor. The only way I see Tai Tuivasa win this fight, because he is a big puncher, most heavyweights are, if he's able to effectively grapple Sirogon, get in the clinch, have him against the cage, and in you know, in breaking up that clinch, land a big strike or a big elbow, the same thing he did to Derek Lewis, I think he has a shot. But dude, Sirogon is nimble, he's fast, he's extremely athletic. I don't think he's going to be able to do that. So I give this one to Sirogon. Now we have Werder against Vittori. This fight's interesting. It's a fucking shame that this fight's three rounds. This fight should be five rounds. This ha- This fight should be five rounds. Now, if it was five rounds, I would definitely give it to Whitaker. I do think Whitaker's skill set is overall better than Vittori's. I do say that. I think Whitaker's grappling is better than Vittori's. Vittori's striking is very good, but I do think Whitaker is better as an overall better striker. Whitaker has that champion experience. I think Whitaker is going to edge out Vittori in this fight. Whitaker is a clear favorite for a reason. I do think this fight's going to be close. I think this fight's going to be very close, but I do give it to Robert Whitaker. If it was five rounds, I was I would most definitely give it to Whitaker. But since it's three, I give it to Whitaker. Now we have the one FC card, Marias against Demetrius Johnson 2. And this one's tough, man. This one's tough. Because this first fight against both of them that happened in 2020. Um most I guarantee you most people listening haven't watched that fight. So I'm just gonna give a quick recap. So in that first round, there was like a tournament for the flight with division. Um, Demetrius Justice won a tournament, which would lead him to fight Marais for the belt, 125 belt. Marais had been champion in one championship flight with division for like, I don't know, four or five years. I think he's the longest reigning champion. And honestly, I would say he's the best champion they have. You could argue the guy who is the the, the middleweight and light heavyweight champion. But for me, I give it to to Marais. I think Marais just has an overall better resume, um, especially since he beat Demetrius Johnson. So he's been champion for a very long time, dominant for a long time. And in that first fight, Marais is clearly much bigger than Demetrius Johnson. Demetrius Johnson wasn't able to effectively close the distance and land any takedowns. Marais has a very wide stance and was able to... to uh, to deter Demetrius Johnson's takedown takedowns, and I would say Marais won that first round. Now in the second round, Demetrius Johnson, same thing, just having a hard time with the range, getting in close, landing a takedown. Marais was able to drop Demetrius Johnson, which Demetrius Johnson gets dropped. He's kind of like you know T.J. Dillashaw or or uh, Volkanovski in that regard, who gets dropped, but it's like. Even though he gets dropped, this is really not that big of a deal. So Demetrius Johnson gets dropped. Marias pounces on him. Um, Marias gets to a position where he was able to knee Demetrius Johnson in the dome piece. When Demetrius Johnson is down, 1FC has a rule that allows knees to a downed opponent, which I believe should be a rule for all of MMA, to be honest with you. But they allow the, they have that rule, so... Um, Marais was able to knee Demetrius Johnson in the face when he was down. Demetrius Johnson didn't block, and he TKO'd Demetrius Johnson. So that was two years ago. So we have two years that's passed. DJ fought once in a weird fight against Raw Tang. 
which is like half MMA, half Muay Thai, which is just one FC likes doing that stuff. Um, so he fought once, which is not even a real MMA fight, in two years. He's just he's two years older now. I believe he's what 37, 37, 36, maybe even 38, somewhere around from 35 to 38. He's somewhere in that time frame, which is extremely old for the flyweight division. Against someone who's a, a younger fighter, the bigger fighter, strong puncher, now has good takedown defense. This is it's gonna be an uphill battle for Demetrius Johnson. I do think that if Demetrius Johnson was in his prime, Demetrius would win, especially if it's in a UFC rule set that doesn't allow knees to a down opponent. I would think Demetrius Johnson has a very good chance of winning it. And if it was in those circumstances. But in these circumstances with an older DJ with these rule sets, um and fighting someone who is younger, who is bigger, and who has great takedown defense. I just don't see DJ winning this one. Now, don't get me wrong. DJ is one of my favorite fighters of all time. So if he were to win this one, I'm going to be fucking nutting. It's going to be like Randy Marsh in that episode of South Park where the internet went down. And he was able to finally get internet. And it's just like jizz in the entire room. Like all over him in the room. That's going to be me if Demetrius Johnson wins. Just fucking come everywhere. So, and I would love if he just wins the belt and just like, yo, fuck it. I'm not giving you a rematch. I'm retiring. That would be amazing. But I don't think that's going to be the case, unfortunately. But I will be tuning in. I'm super excited for this fight. Honestly, I'm probably excited for this the, the one championship, the one championship fight over the UFC fights that are happening this weekend. So you should definitely check out the one championship fight. Especially this one. There's any one championship fight to check out. It's going to be this one. Now, the only way to watch it is to watch it through Prime Video. So, if you have Amazon Prime, you'll be able to watch it through Amazon Prime. It's a, they made a deal with Amazon Prime, which um, this is the first time they're having a show on that on, the, uh, on Amazon. Usually, you just be able to watch it on the website, 1FC.com, which I love the fact that they just host it on the website. It makes it so much easier to watch it. Um, you can go back and watch the fights anytime too, but this time you have to be on Prime in order to watch it. So if you have Prime, perfect. If you don't, fucking get Prime. Do that free trial. Watch this fight. Cancel that shit afterwards. Fuck Jeff Bezos. And this goes. This goes. Uh, this is. Uh, I just went on a super crazy tangent just now, but this goes episode seventeen, round six MMA talk with me, your boy Noah Petrie. This drops every Tuesday at seven a.m. Of course. I will be talking to you guys next week. Enjoy the fights this week and see you guys next time. Bye.